Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Bible Deliverance, where we allow the Word of God to reign uncompromised and untainted. So excited about this word this morning, and we're going to go right into the Word of God. So let us pray. Father God, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we come before you asking you, O God to open up our hearts and our minds to receive your word. Let it speak profoundly to our spirit and to our soul. And let us go forth and implement your word in our lives so that we can give you glory. Amen, amen, and amen. This morning, I want to talk to you about the difference between winning and conquering. When we root for a sports team, we're rooting for a win. When we play a board game, and those of you who play the lottery are hoping and even praying for a win. Conquering is a little different and is a word that is used less often, likely because conquering has nothing to do with luck and it is oftentimes not quick or immediate. To conquer requires a leveled up mindset a standard of discipline, not to just have skills, but to have reached a level of mastership. The mindset of a conqueror goes beyond immediate gratification of what most accept as a win. A conqueror defines winning by how well their craft, their skill, or their calling aligns with their integrity and character, as well as the impact that it has on others. A conqueror faces challenges head on and seeks victory for the sole purpose of influencing what is bigger than themselves. The impact of a conqueror leaves a residue of victory in the atmosphere long after they have left the room or the designated platform. As I began to study for this message, my prayer was to effectively give insight to winning versus conquering. And the more I studied, the harder it seemed to be able to collaborate enough of the right words to define the depth of what it means to conquer. Oh, but God, thank you, God. He led me to Romans 8. And as I began to read clarity, begin to unravel. And I urge you all to take the time, get into your word and read this chapter in its entirety. What the word of God makes very clear in this chapter is that to stand as an undisputed conqueror, you must be focused on not just winning for the sake of winning, but pursuing and obtaining the status of victory without disconnecting from the will and the ways of God. In Romans 8, 35 through 37, the scripture begins with a question. As it reads, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? In today's world, we see greed, a need to please others, the embracing of ungodly trends, materialism, selfishness, and even political agendas separate people from God. In verse 36, the scripture continues, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. 
We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. As sheep whose shepherd should be God. If anything other than the wills and the ways of God are leading us, it is equivalent to us offering up ourselves to be slaughtered by the enemy. And I'm not referring to our individual enemies or opponents, but Satan, whose hatred for us and desire for our demise in all honesty is not personal. He is the enemy of humanity. He is the enemy of God. And he is on an assignment to steal, kill, and destroy. Verse 37 begins with the word, no. No. I'm going to say to you, don't accept Satan's agenda. No. Don't fall for the deceptions of the world. No. Don't believe the hype. God's will and God's way is the divine plan. If we scroll down to verse 37, it continues with, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. A conqueror can lose a competition and never lose the status of being a conqueror. Sometimes what appears to be a loss because of how the score aligns, is just a step in the conquering process. I want to tell you the story of King Saul. He became king because the people, against the will and the warning of God, demanded a king. Samuel, who was God's prophet, was the official leader of Israel. But the people wanted to be like other nations. So a prophet of God wasn't enough. They wanted a king. First Samuel 8 and 5 reads, And they said to him, Behold, you have grown old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint us a king to judge us like all the other nations. Not much different than people today. They wanted someone to run their government who was maybe not so disciplined in the keeping of the word of God, you know, someone who would cater to their desires. Again, like the world today, more focused on desires of the flesh than the righteousness of God. Verse seven through nine reads, and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people regarding all that they say to you, because they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day that I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, in that they have abandoned me and served other gods. So they are doing to you as well. Now then listen to their voice. However, you shall warn them strongly and tell them of the practice of the king who will reign over them. Samuel goes to the people and he tells them what God says. 
And I'm going to read this passage from the message translation because I want you to truly embrace how the warning of God reflects on our world today. Samuel goes to the people and he says, this is the way, the kind of king you are talking about operates. He'll take your sons and make soldiers of them. Charity, cavalry, infantry, regimented and inbalitants and squadrons. He'll put some to forced labor on his farms, plowing and harvesting, and others to making either weapons of war or chariots in which he can ride in luxury. He'll put your daughters to work as beauticians and waitresses and cooks. He'll constrict your best fields, vineyards, and orchards and hand them over to his special friends. He'll tax your harvest and vintage to support his extensive bureaucracy. Your prize workers and best animals he'll take for his own use. He'll lay a tax on your flocks and you'll end up no better than slaves. The day will come when you will cry in desperation because of this king you so much want for yourselves. But don't expect God. Now, before I go any further, I want to provide clarity regarding the scripture because I don't want anyone to get sidetracked or be deceived into thinking that there is anything wrong with being a beautician, waitress, or cook. The Bible is speaking against the mindset amongst the daughters that limit them to thinking that they're only to serve and not to lead. The scripture goes on to say, but the people wouldn't listen to Samuel. No, they said, we will have a king to rule us. Then we'll be just like all the other nations. Our king will rule and lead us and fight our battles. Samuel took in what they said back to God. And then God told Samuel, do what they say, make them a king. Notice the scripture says, our king will rule us and lead us and fight our battles. They wanted a physical being, a physical human who they know is incapable of being perfect, but they want an imperfect creature to rule and to lead them and to fight their battles. Not God, the one who brought them up out of Egypt. You see, the deception of Satan is to get you to rely on what is outside of God. Please know and understand that just because we ask over and over for a thing and finally God allows us to have it, it is not necessarily a blessing from God. God will extend his permissive will when we bask outside of alignment with him, when we lose faith in him, when our patience on waiting on his manifestation of his perfect will, we give up. God's permissive will. We are often 
deceived and perceiving as a win because we get what we wanted. But only in God's perfect will is there true victory. Conquerors don't settle. They only pursue and settle for God's perfect will. The people of Israel thought they had won and received a blessing from God when Saul became their king because their wish was granted. And I say wish granted as opposed to prayers answered because prayers reverence the will and the ways of God. But please know that winning is just a temporary fix to a challenge and repetitive wins of the same challenge is what is required to maintain the status of winner while conquering is one and done. What do you mean, pastor? See, you may face challenge after challenge, but when you conquer something, you don't keep competing at the same level or playing the same game. The people of Israel suffered under the reign of Saul. And you can believe that they adopted his character. Saul was blatantly disobedient to God. He even set up a monument to himself, praising himself above God while lying and saying everything he did was for God. No different than some politicians we see today who want to profess to be Christian, who want to hold up a Bible while their actions and reactions fall contrary to the word of God. Now, I don't want you to get it twisted. During Saul's 42-year reign, he defeated many of the enemies of his country. The problem was he did great things while also entertaining God's enemy through his acts of disobedience. Saul even united the scattered tribes and strengthened the ties between the tribes. But the problem is he did this while loosening the ties between himself and God. Saul may have looked like a hero in the sight of people, but Saul was not pleasing in the sight of God. On the surface, Saul looked like he may have been winning. But what victory is there really without pleasing God? Ungodly leadership thrives on exalting selfish agendas that's often rooted in greed and the absence of compassion for the people. The biggest issue concerning leadership is influence. The ability a leader has to impact others. Whatever is manifested by the leader will trickle down to the people. That's why it's so important that we be careful who we choose as leaders. While Moses gave us instructions, while Paul reiterated instructions on choosing a leader. In 1 Samuel 16, it details the story of David being anointed as king. Samuel was given the assignment by God to find a replacement for King Saul who God wanted to be overthrown due to his disobedience and character flaws. God sent Samuel 
to the house of Jesse. Jesse had seven sons. And told him there he would find who he would anoint as king. The successor of Saul. As you read the account of the story, as each of Jesse's sons were brought before Samuel, God spoke to Samuel and said in verse 7, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature. He reminds Samuel that he looks at the heart. Jesse brought before Samuel all of his older sons, but God would not release Samuel to anoint any of them. In verse 11, Samuel says to Jesse, are all of the young men here? And Jesse responded, all except the youngest who's out there tending the sheep. Samuel asked that he be brought in. When Jesse's youngest son, David, entered the room, God said, rise and anoint, for this is the one. FYI, conquerors rarely look like what the world says they should look like. Conquerors rarely talk like what the world says they should talk like or even come from where the world thinks that they should come from, which is why they crucified Jesus, because he didn't look or talk or come from where the people had envisioned the Messiah would come from, look like, or talk like. As we continue to go through the story, David was anointed king at the age of 15. The assignment was his. The job was his. He had officially won the kingship. But he wasn't elevated into position for 15 years. Now I want you to keep in mind, he was anointed at the age of 15 and it took 15 years for him to step into kingship. At this time, the people had been under the reign and the rule of King Saul for 27 years. And I'm sure many of them by this point were crying out to God, but he already told them when he gave them the warning, you're going to cry out and I'm not going to hear you. For those 15 years leading up to David actually sitting on the throne. He went through some stuff and faced some tribulations and obstacles and pushbacks and things that we don't deem as indicative or imagine a winner or royalty would have to endure. God anointed David because he had the heart of a conqueror, not a winner. As David awaited the fulfillment of his kingship, he was charged to serve under Saul. Mm, Many of y'all wouldn't want to, I would be second guessing God at this point. You want me to serve God under the one that you want to dig the wrong? This can't be God. But he did. And Saul became resentful of David's anointing. And he even got to the point where he wanted to kill David. David at one point was on a run from Saul because he wanted to kill him. 
Yet when David was presented with the opportunity to kill Saul, he spared his life. Now let's just be honest. Most of us would have not spared the life of the one who was trying to kill us. Let's just be honest. We would have counted that opportunity as a blessing, killed Saul and declared a win. But again, a conqueror is more committed to the integrity of the sport and under the realm of God's anointing. With all the games life throws at us, the anointed are required to play humbling themselves, not giving in to the easiest solution or what provides the most immediate gratification, but remaining committed to what upholds the word of God despite what it looks like. Regardless of the count on the scorecard, David makes it clear in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 6 through 7, he said, to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. Notice he's still calling Saul his master, the Lord's anointed, and lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. The scripture said, and Saul left the cave and went his way. See, because conquerors are ordained leaders, according to the mandate of God, they don't have the luxury of putting themselves first. They don't get to choose self-preservation over the exaltation of the will and the word of God. Despite King Saul's actions and reactions, disobedience to God and his character flaws, he also still was an anointed vessel of God who was given an assignment. I need you to understand that rebelliousness to even God does not negate or remove God's anointing or his assignment. When we disobey God, the anointing still rests on us. God's assignments and plans for our lives are still relevant and outstanding. Disobedience is our way of allowing our free will to reign more prevalent than our anointing and our assignment. And you can trust and believe none of any man or woman's actions or reactions caught God by surprise. God foreknew that not all of those he would anoint would walk as humble servants. He knew that. God foreknew that sometimes the anointed would not always be the easiest to deal with, nor would they appear to be the winner or conqueror in various situations and circumstances. And David understood and respected the mantle of God's anointing as he spared Saul's life. He embraced Psalms 105.15, which is clear. As it says, touch not my anointed. Do my prophet no harm. During the 15-year span from when David was anointed as king as a boy and when he actually sat on the throne, his character was tested along with his faith in God. 
God doesn't just pull rabbits out of hats and put them over his people. David was by no means perfect, but the word of God in 1 Samuel 13, 14 refers to David as a man after God's own heart. David had the heart of a conqueror. Now you can imagine with Saul thriving in his disobedience to God and being self-serving, the nation had also become comfortable outside of the will of God. The people had also become self-centered and had no compassion for one another. Again, real conquerors embrace God's timing. 15 years seems like a long time to wait to walk in a position that God himself hired you for. I know some of you be like, mm -mm, this too long, this ain't God. I think God is leading me in another direction. But David reverenced God's timing and he did not get anxious. God's timing encompassed not just preparing David mentally and spiritually, but preparing the people to realign themselves to receive the conqueror that God was mandating for this new season. God is so awesome in all of his glory. See, when he exalts vision, he lays the foundation for the provision. Think about him as the creator of the universe and mankind. God put in place first everything man would need to sustain life before he even created man. The same thing is true about our ordained assignments. We get excited and want to rush the process. We want to get to what we have defined as the win. I'm telling you this morning, allow God to turn the soil, to plant the seeds, to nurture the ground and to pull the weeds for all that he has purposed. Allow him to prepare the place, including the mindsets of the people where he's sending you. When you rush God, the one person that may be a thorn in your side, if you would just wait on God, that same person, that same thorn can be an extraordinary asset to helping you fulfill what God has ordained. Perfect example is the story of David during his 15 year waiting period. The time that passed was obviously effectively preparing the people. Listen to the words of the people in 2 Samuel verses, chapter five, verses one through two. After David steps on the throne, the people say, we are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people, Israel, and you will become ruler. It's clear David won the respect and the admiration of the people before stepping into position. In his 15-year waiting period, David showed the people his determination to fight for the people when he risked his life to slay Goliath. 
He showed his commitment to the word of God when he spared Saul's life while he was trying to take his. And when he fled running from Saul's death attempts in the midst of personal turmoil, he still maintained a compassion for the people as he became the leader of the outlaws. I wish someone would share this word from God with Stacey Abrams, who in our day and time has shown us what it means to walk in integrity and fight. And I can promise you, despite what the scorecard she will prove herself to be a conqueror. Winning is superficial. Conquering is significant. Winning renders immediate accolades, while conquering is the essential and required steps when pursuing the dominion that God has mandated. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of your Son, we come to you and we thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that you give us wisdom, insight, and reverence according to your will. Lord, we ask that you shift our mindsets to not just settle for winning, and obtaining immediate rewards, but instill in our hearts, elevate our souls to desire to be conquerors, equipped to walk in the mandate of dominion given us. Lord, let us become vessels who are fit to hear you speak the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. To you we give glory. To you we give honor. And it's to you, O oh God, in Jesus' name, that we say, Amen.
shed our blood. We shed our blood. Oh, what was right? Oh, what was right? We carried our cross. We carried our cross through stormy weather. Yeah, yeah. Through stormy rain. Because of Christ. 